Hey there, lovers. Jesse here. Today we are doing something we've absolutely never done before, which is releasing what was previously a Patreon-exclusive episode onto the main feed. Well, here's the reason. Back in April, we covered the case of the murder of professional cyclist Anna Mariah Wilson. It was a very high-profile, in-the-news type of case, and one that could have easily been a normal episode, but as I explained on the episode, because it was still breaking and it wasn't a complete episode, I released it as a Patreon bonus. That story has been back in the news as one of the key players in the story has been on trial for the murder. That trial has just concluded, and given that, we thought there would be a lot of interest in people learning more about the story, and I've also fielded some requests for the story by people who don't have access to the Patreon. Now, this is not something that we're going to do regularly. Patreon bonus episodes come out twice a month, and it's very important to us that the value remains for the subscribers. For those of you considering joining Patreon, we hope you like this episode and would love to have you join the community. A last note, we will do an update and addendum at the end of this episode with the recent news from the trial. With that, let's get into it. Jesse, I am so excited to be back for another Patreon bonus with you. What is your story this month? When a bright and talented professional cyclist is gunned down in Austin, Texas, the authorities believe that a love triangle is to blame. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Bray, and this is a Love Murder Patreon bonus episode. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to your April bonus Patreons. Well, at least mine for now. Number double deuce. The case that we're talking about today is probably one of our most requested, unresolved, and more current cases. So I did not know what, how I wanted to cover this case at all, because as you guys know from our main page weekly Love Murder episodes, I do like to have a feeling of conclusion, finality. Resolution. Resolution. So I usually wait until the trial is over. And also a lot of details usually come out in the trial that I would like to inform any of my evergreen episodes that are going to live out there in a, a capsule, basically. So I was like, oh, I don't think I want to do this for the main page, but there's too much information for just a current affairs, our little shorties that we've been doing. So I thought that maybe a Patreon episode would be the perfect mama bear solution. I love it. Patreon mama bear. <laughs> it is. This is going to be the Patreon mama bear episode. And I think it'll end up being a little lengthy in general, though, because there's a lot going on here. So I'm excited to see how this resolves, and we'll definitely be keeping you updated. But I think right now we should just jump right in. Mariah Moe Wilson was a force to be reckoned with. Driven, motivated, smart were all words used to describe Mariah. Her friends and competitors would add strong and indefatigable to that list. Mariah was an exploding star in gravel racing. Nearly from her very first race, she was dominating almost all of the women in the sport and most of the men to boot. And it didn't take long for her to be dominating almost everyone. In 2021, Mariah finished second in an Idaho competition, 
And though everyone recognized that she was the strongest competitor in the women's division, she had suffered some mechanical issues that cost her the top prize. Even this could not dim Mariah's wide smile and blistering inner light. These races and events were prime opportunities to meet other professionals, network, swap tips, grab a drink, and come down from the adrenaline of the race. One such pro Mariah came face-to-face with on that fateful trip was Colin Strickland, undisputably the biggest star and the poster boy for gravel racing. Though Colin was a decade older than Mariah, they looked like contemporaries. They looked like around the same age. Colin was a favorite among fans of the sport, competitors, and sponsors alike. Tall, lean, boyishly handsome with casual confidence. It was hard to imagine not noticing Colin, especially at an event where he was so well-known. I mean, he had all of the biggest sponsors, including Red Bull and... It was just he was somebody that was written up in magazines. I mean, you would know this guy. He's like the guy of this sport. Also, just as a side note, gravel racing sounds like a nightmare. Like if you fall, that would have to hurt so bad. (laughs) It really does. It does sound like my worst nightmare. Guys, I can't ride a bike on like the best of days. If you attach any sort of apparatus to me, I will find some way to trip, fall, skid. It's going to happen. So I just stick to running because it's just my body against the road. And for the most part, I stay vertical, but not all the time. So yeah, definitely not gravel racing. No, I've had a couple of like moped accidents on gravel. And it's always on gravel because it's an uneven, rough surface. And so if you like take off the wrong way or if you're leaning to one side, it's just completely like skids out under you and it just sounds horrible. I mean, it felt horrible when I did it. And so like racing actively, intentionally on it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. And also these races are really long over tough terrain. I mean, they can be up to 200 miles long. Wild. This is a crazy endurance sport, not for the faint of heart. Basically, Colin's like the person that almost put the sport on the map. He was like an early adopter. And he was very well known. I guess that at one of his early races, he finished second or third right behind Lance Armstrong. No way. Yes. And he was almost on the U.S. Tour de France team. So this guy is a very, very good natural biker. So Mariah was this very big rising star. I mean, she had kind of exploded onto the scene and was immediately like on the podium. She just had this stamina. She had the skills. She is just down to earth. You watch these videos with her and she's delightful and seems mature beyond her years. Which is probably another reason why they seemed similar in age. Exactly. Yeah, I think honestly, like as you guys will see as we continue this episode, that Colin was a little emotionally immature. And while he was a leader in this industry, and he did, there was a lot of people that said that he helped them out. He helped them find sponsors. He loved talking about the future of the sport. He was a little not so great in his interpersonal relationships, especially when it came to dating. Whereas it did seem like Mariah was more mature than her years, even in how she dealt with people and communicated. At this event, they come face to face and they ended up connecting over drinks. And at that point, they swapped tips and race tactics. 
And I think that obviously they already knew of each other. They might have even followed each other on social media at this point just because they were in the same industry. And Colin offered to introduce her to some of his sponsors because she was at that point looking for sponsorship. And it's hard to say if the spark between them was there at the first meeting, but it seems plausible, if not likely, given what transpired. And just even thinking about, I don't know, personally, like coming off of these very physical rides and meeting somebody that is at your level in these very difficult competition that only few people can really master. I feel like there would be at least in the very, very least, like a professional spark. There'd be some admiration and respect there that especially if you're like a fit, good looking young person that maybe the attraction of a more sexual variety would follow. So Mariah and Colin had more than just gravel racing in common. They were both eco-conscious gourmands. They loved to cook. They loved to use organic ingredients. Colin had grown up on organic farm. And they both had STEM backgrounds. It seems like Colin had left a sort of science position with an environmental company. And Mariah had actually gotten her engineering degree from Dartmouth. Whoa. I mean, she is really smart. So they had more in common than just being successful at this one thing. They were ambitious high achievers who wanted to make the world a better place. And at that first meeting, they had something else in common, which might have prevented that spark from becoming a flame. And that was that they both had serious romantic partners. How did I know you were going to say that? (laughs) However, that was not the case several weeks later when they were once again brought together to dominate their mutual sport. And this time, that little baby Ember definitely turned into a full-on flame. The only problem? Colin's relationship was, to put it in an elder millennial Facebook term, complicated. Oh my God. I like forgot about that until you just said that. You guys, we lived through the era where everyone, when they were going through a breakup, switched their Facebook status from in a relationship to it's complicated and then posted their favorite email lyrics. Literally. (laughs) I even look through my memories and there's just like, oh, I'm horrified of some of my like even captions that I put on photos. Oh my goodness. How emo were we? We were so emo. Without even being emo. Like, we didn't need the emo <laughs> label. We were just, that was who we were. We paved you the way. You didn't even have to listen to Dashboard Confessional you or My Chemical Romance. You just were by existing at this time. At this age. <laughs> at this age. <laughs> yes. So it is very Facebook. It's complicated with Colin and his girlfriend. Yes. Because while he may have considered himself single, his long-term live-in girlfriend, Caitlin Armstrong, certainly did not. I mean, it's kind of hard to defend yourself when y'all still live together, you know? Yes. And we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it, but I guess around this time, they were still living in the same house because Caitlin was looking for another place to live. Yeah, they always are. But they were allegedly living in different rooms in the same house. If it doesn't, when you come home, like a little tipsy that you don't like, put it in. (laughs) Well, I think that's the problem. I think that's the problem of, though, staying in close proximity of somebody that you don't want to be with anymore, or at least one person doesn't want to be with the other person. But a lot of times in relationships, the sex is not the problem. Like, I know that when you get to our age, like pushing 40, now, like, you hear people that are like, oh, we haven't had sex for, like, 
<laughs> you know, six months, a year, whatever, and then they finally break up. But like when I was young, I the sex was always the, like the least of my problems in relationships. It was because the relationship was bad. But if I was still living with that person and I was still like, okay, well, that part's good. It could have happened. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And this woman wasn't just scorned. She was armed. The fallout of this doomed love triangle would result in the murder of an incredibly kind and promising young woman. And then it would spark an international manhunt worthy of a soap opera. Guys, this case is so love murdery that when I was doing some research, I saw that Nancy Grace actually called it a capital letters L, capital letters M, love murder. So we need to sue Nancy Grace is what you're trying to say. <laughs> I'm saying I'm happy it's catching on. Let's keep it going. Nancy, we're fine. We're fine with you using the title of our podcast, but you got to give us a shout out or something. Like, come on, lady. <laughs> Please just a shout out. But yeah, I would love if like these types, well, you know what? I don't want any of these types of crimes to continue happening. We've got enough in the past. I've got a bookshelf of true crime books that I can get to. And we don't want any more of these cases. But if you want to call the love murder, TM, I'm into it. Well, speaking of research, my sources today are manifold. I got a lot of sources today. I watched Dateline Season 31, Episode 1, The Last Ride. There was a very comprehensive long read in Outside Magazine by Ian Dill, who knew a lot of the people involved in this because he had befriended them in Austin or covered them for Outside Magazine. And then there is an also Rowan Moore Garrity's article in Bicycling Magazine titled The Truth and Tragedy of Mariah Wilson, as well as the New Yorker's article by Ian Parker about the case. There's also, um, I think, like a local Austin paper that I'll quote right at the end, and I'll make sure to give them a shout out at the end. And, you know, back in the day, I haven't listened to it since, but Going West did an episode about this when it was still breaking. Okay. So I think that was in June of last year. And I always love to give Heath and Daphne, our buddies, a shout out when I can. So thanks, guys. I feel like these names look familiar in my head and it could be from them. It might be that. I think we also talked about it at the time. So Andy, this, this one's burned in my brain because I was actually in Lake Placid for our Nathaniel and I's nine-year anniversary trip mm -hmm. when this was all going down. So this is like our nine-year meet-aversary. I know. Roll your eyes. We went away for our meet-aversary, not just our wedding anniversary. But this was when it was going down and I didn't have my kids with me because we were away for the weekend. And I was like ignoring Nathaniel because I was like reading all the reports that were coming out about this. And unfortunately, we didn't have current affairs at the time. So I was like, don't even know what to do with this right now. I'm really glad and I'm thankful. I mean, I'm sure plenty of you have written into me. So I'm, I'm glad that I finally got off my duff and decided to do a deep dive on this one because it's a very tragic and extremely compelling case. So let's talk about Anna Mariah Wilson now, who went by Mariah or Mo. Mariah was raised in Vermont with her parents and her younger brother, Matt. It was an extremely athletic family, almost dynastic when it came to skiing. Her father competed on the World Cup circuit as a member of the U.S. ski team, and her aunt was a cross-country skiing Olympian. Whoa. So her dad was a coach at an extremely elite boarding school, Burke Mountain Academy, which was founded to develop the best of the best alpine skiers. I think it was Ian Deal from outside compared it to where the Williams sisters and 
Andre Agassi went for tennis. Like there's a school that's like similar in Florida and it is very difficult to get into. You really have to show incredible promise. And the goal of this school is not to go to Harvard. It's to go to the Olympics. That's what they're training. They're training the next best class of skiing Olympians. So her dad taught there. So she and her brother from like a very early age were obviously skiing. They were around the school from an early age. And of course, they both ended up attending. So Mariah even graduated one year behind Michaela Schifrin, who you may know that name because she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist in skiing. The Wilson's family athletic exploits didn't stop with skiing, though, and Mariah started mountain biking at seven years old. She also played soccer. The whole family would go mountain biking together, and it was also something that some of the people at the school did. Like, before they went to school in the mornings, some kids would get together and do mountain biking rides together, and she would just crush the boys constantly. Casual. Yeah, and some people were like, wow, she's a really good skier, but maybe she should be focusing on cycling because she's incredible at it. And like I said, Mariah was also a smart cookie. She attacked her studies with the same ferocity in which she took skiing and biking competitions. In fact, Mariah was so driven and exacting that her parents took her to a therapist as a child in an effort to manage her perfectionism. Whoa. It was like she came out of the womb, just go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. She always wanted to do more. So I can't tell you or not whether she found balance in her life, but she was a crazy achiever, if maybe an overachiever. She went to Ivy League Dartmouth and, like I said, graduated with an engineering degree. She had also raced on the ski team while she was there. So she was just a champion all around, but she at some point got injured and she needed to have, I believe, a knee surgery or it was like a knee or an ACL surgery, but she tore something. And while she was rehabbing, she started biking again. And she realized that she completely was in love with it and that this was the direction she wanted to take her life. So she told her parents that she wanted to set the goal as going pro in cycling. Were they cool with it? They were totally cool with it. They just wanted to make sure that she had the capacity to do it because coming from a family of Olympians, they knew that you have to have a certain physicality. You have to have a certain abilities, like a VO2 max. You have to have something else that will give you the ability to go pro in any sport, which is why people talk about all the time, like uh, Michael Phelps, how he just has this crazy physique for swimming, just the way he's designed is a perfect swimming instrument. And so they were like, sure, absolutely. Let's get you a coach and let's get you training. And then we'll figure out whether that really is something that's a possibility. And so she got this very serious coach and they took her to like what I imagine in like spy movies when they make you go through all these tests and like they're testing them underwater and they're like making them climb things and everything. I don't really know what these tests look like, but this is what I'm imagining they look like. And they said that when they tested her, they were blown away. She was absolutely world-class. Wait, I don't get why she can't just do it for fun if she enjoys it. Well, she can just do it for fun, and she was. But she wanted to be a professional cyclist. She wanted to train and compete. This was her goal. Got it. Okay. Because before, I think that the goal had been professional skier. Yeah. So it's the same professional athlete track. She's just switching what she wants to do. And you also may have been missing a part about her managing her perfectionism. (laughs) (laughs) Like if somebody's really good at something, they're not like, 
you know, I'll just do this for fun if they're a perfectionist. They're going to be like, no, I want to fucking win. I'm going to be the best. Yeah, I know. I guess I maybe <laughs> thought that that went with the injury, but I guess not. <laughs> no, no. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I feel like if I had had any inkling of any physical ability at all, I would have been this type of person. I'd be like, no, I want to train. I want to be a pro. I'm going to win. Like, I like had asthma and I was like overweight and I still was like running cross country being like, ah, ah. <laughs> seriously, the girl ahead of me would be like, are you okay? Are you dying? I'm like, I'm fine. Mind your business. <laughs> Maybe that's my mom kind of fucked me up because I like literally my coaches were like, she will be in the Olympics by the time she's 15. And my mom was like, she will be an advanced intermediate for five years to avoid that. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely not. But think about how great your life is. No, 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 no. Yeah, there's many benefits to me not becoming an Olympic gymnast. So I'm not mad about it. <laughs> yeah, no, she really wanted this. She was like, let's go for the brass ring here. I'm going for it. Um, and they were like, there's no reason why you can't because you've got it all. You've got the determination. You've got the physique. You've got it, kid. So after graduation, she moved to San Francisco with a boyfriend of hers from Dartmouth. She took a job with a company called Specialized and began to also realize her dream of becoming a professional cyclist. And like I said, she was just a total phenom. Like people said that she was inspiring to watch. Other competitors, other leaders in the sport said that it was incredible. Like you just couldn't believe how strong she was how determined she was. A friend of hers named Caitlin Cash was somebody she became very, very close to within a six-month period. But before Caitlin knew her, before she even knew her personally, she said that she was at a race of hers in Vermont, which is her home state. And she said that she started crying just watching her race, this person she didn't even know because there was something so inspiring about Mariah because no matter how grueling these long, arduous, hilly, rough train races were, Mariah would be smiling through it. Whoa. Yeah, there was just something beautiful in watching her achieve and conquer with such a beatific look on her face. And like I said, we're talking about 100, 200 mile races. Like they're coming out covered with mud and they look like they've been through the gauntlet when they're finishing these races. But I think what's most impressive about Mariah was that despite all of this success and accomplishment, she was also deeply kind. She would always try to stay around the area so that she could watch the last finisher of the race. That's really sweet. And given how fast she was, like she set a crazy record for like a 200-mile race, like did it in like seven hours or something. Like she was incredibly fast. And... It would take competitors, especially the last competitor, hours and hours after her to come in, obviously. And she wrote about one such experience in this newsletter that she had for a while. And she wrote, quote, it was dark, it was cold. And she's talking about the last competitor to come in. And she had been out there for 14 and a half hours. What an incredible display of strength and perseverance. Oh, so she waited like just as long as she raced. To watch her. Well, yeah. I think I think she had like had a couple of like a beer and gotten some food and then gone back to the finish line, but still. <laughs> but she wrote, This is why we ride. We ride to do hard things and then celebrate together. Cute. Which I loved. There's just no prima donna about her, even though she's 
icing everyone. Such a prodigy. Yeah. At this sport. Rowan Moore Garrity wrote for Bicycling Magazine, quote, at times speaking to those who knew Mo felt like researching candidacy for sainthood. She seemed cocooned from the base impulses that defined so many of us. She was a thoughtful friend, a paragon of discipline, a great listener. Like even her ex-boyfriend had nothing but nice things to say about her. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that. So around the time that Mariah met gravel racing superstar Colin Strickland, she was going through some really big changes in her life. She was 25 years old. She was in the process of leaving her longtime college boyfriend. And she was also leaving her job to officially go pro and focus on gravel racing for her life. So Mariah had big goals. She was hoping to, this was at least her plans, she was going to sublet her apartment in San Francisco where she had been living and she was going to go pro and she was going to set her hometown in Vermont as like her home base while she's traveling to all these races. And she wanted to give back to that community that had given her so much, like maybe like open a cafe and like do something with the youth and especially the young girls in the area. But she wanted to inspire others. And she also wanted to bring awareness to all sorts of different issues. She wanted to promote positive body image awareness, especially among female athletes who are really ruthlessly hard on themselves. And I think so is the world on female athletes. I mean, on females in general. And also shed light on the discrepancy between how male and female athletes are treated both in pay and in the media attention that they get. Okay. So there was just like the beginning. She's only 25 years old. Starting to think about all the different ways that she could give back, give back and benefit her community and and the greater world from her gifts. She was just a talented woman who had a lot to give. And Colin was, I think, 35 at this time. And he knew that his pro racing days were soon to come to an end. It was just like once you get into your mid to late 30s in any professional sport, you're getting to the end of your ability because you've ridden your body hard since you were a teenager at that point. You've probably suffered injuries. And you just get to a point where you're just not repairing as quickly as you used to. So it was very star is born moment. I feel like she's the rising star and he's like the head of the sport that's kind of on his way out. So he was figuring out in his life, what's my next play? What am I going to do? And she's coming in, he's giving her advice. And it seems like Colin was just very excited to foster new talent in a sport that he had helped put on the map. So he was feeling very passionate about gravel racing and keeping it kind of pure and the way it was, and not trying to commodify it the way so many other sports have been. And so I think he was just really excited that this, like, brand new talent had come out of nowhere. And Colin and Mariah saw each other a month later at a 103-mile race called Big Sugar, where Mariah won. (laughs) There's Big Sugar and there's Little Sugar. I think, like, Little Sugar is like a 50-mile race, and the Big Sugar is a 100-mile race. Okay. (laughs) And she ended up winning the women's race there and finished 12th overall. So including the men. And she finished only five minutes behind Colin. Wow. Yeah. So that trip, Colin had brought his long-term girlfriend, 34-year-old realtor and yoga teacher, Caitlin Armstrong, who was also his business partner. They had bought into this company or they had created this company together called Wheelhouse where they're basically buying and rehabbing these trailers that I think a lot of 
cyclists would tow behind their cars or whatever on long races and bike rides. So they're like these little Spartan trailers. And so they had a business together doing that, which was kind of like where I think he thought maybe his next play was going to be. So he had brought his girlfriend, Caitlin. And during this event, some of the elite cyclists went on a group ride. And this obviously included Colin and Mariah. But Caitlin was also a cyclist. So she was amateur. She wasn't a pro. Wait, wait, wait. So she's a yoga instructor, a realtor, and a cyclist? Yes, but she's like a cyclist for fun. She's like what you were talking about. Like, why can't they just do it for fun? Caitlin just does it for fun. And she does it to like hang out with her boyfriend who she broke up with, who they're not together with. Well, at this moment, they're still together. Okay. So when he first met her, they were still together. That's why I said the first time they met, they were both with other people. The second time they met at this point, Mariah had already broken up with her boyfriend. It's ending. They're pretty much done. Now, Caitlin came to this ride that they're on, the Big Sugar. And this was an ongoing issue in their relationship, but it was exacerbated this time because he ended up going on a ride with the elite bikers, cyclists rather. And I think she wanted to go and he was like, well, you can't keep up with us, so you can't come. Yeah, period. That's the way it is. Like we're going on a training run group train together. So that's the way it goes. And I do think that there was already something in her craw about the other pro women. There was another woman that I believe talked to the New Yorker who had had some sort of relationship with Colin, I think before he dated Caitlyn. Well, yeah, women only really have those issues when they're insecure about something because there's something there. Yes, there is something there. I think that people said that he was very condescending. He could be condescending to people he cared about, to Caitlyn. They said even to like a male teammate of his, his mother, like, There were people that picked up on this, like, not great personality trait. And especially if it's something like, well, you're just not good enough to come with us, which is the truth. But depending on how he delivers that, it can seem very harsh. There's a way to say it politely. Yes. So this was just a huge issue for them in general. And there was, like, other stuff, too. For instance, I guess that his sponsors had given him a jersey that had like all the sponsors' names on it and that that's what he was supposed to wear when he raced, obviously. And he had one made for Caitlyn to wear. But when she tried to wear it to a race, he was like, oh, actually, like all my sponsors are at this race and I don't think you should wear it just in case they're not cool with my girlfriend wearing it. Yeah. And so she got so angry about it that she left the race and didn't come back. So there's just a lot going on here. And some people felt like maybe she was too into his public persona. Yeah, it feels like these are conversations that they should have been having at home before, like, they get to the race. You know what I mean? Like a normal relationship, you'd be like... (laughs) Hey, babe, I'm going to wear your shirt. And he'd be like, oh, actually, probably shouldn't. Yeah. And then you usually like be like, okay. Let's argue about it now. Get it out. And then I'll show up to support you. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't sound like they were very communicative. So this was a huge issue. And so this is, I think, the second time that Colin and Mariah are around each other. Maybe third. Who knows? They've been to all these races together. But it's still very early in their relationship and friendship. And he's still with his girlfriend. And it was apparently on that trip that Colin and Caitlin had to drive nine hours back to Austin, Texas, where they lived together. And they had a long 
conversation about how it just wasn't working. Colin said, look, you do deserve better. She was apparently very, very kind. People said she was a wonderful person. She didn't seem jealous. That a lot of people did not see the side of her. She seemed Zen yoga teacher. And she had helped his mother out with finding unemployment benefits. She had helped various people in his life through some hard times and, of course, had been there for him. But this also was, I have to say, Caitlin and Colin, it was one of those COVID relationships. They connected right before COVID started almost. I think it was the end of 2019. So they got together. It was going really well. They met on Hinge, the dating app. and. Though at first Colin didn't really see it going anywhere because they just had a very different take on a lot of things. Like she wore some like fast fashion and he was very about organic everything, sustainable, eco-conscious stuff. Like it was just, it does sound like he's a little, (laughs) he's a little uppity, huh? (laughs) Yeah, he sounds very uppity. Like, sir, (laughs) unless you're going to buy her all of her clothing, you don't get to say anything about that shit. Yeah. So there were some differences right away. But then COVID hit and apparently she was just really caring and sweet. And I forget exactly how it came to pass. But then, boom, one thing leads to another and she's living with him. This sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Well, you know, this was the way it was for lots of couples. I mean, I feel like COVID either pushed people who were not living together and maybe not that serious to get serious and it worked. Or it it forced, like, couples that were already together for a long time and married to be like, you know what, I can't spend this much time with you. Yeah. It went one way or the other, for real. I think, though, that you can, like, struggle with being locked in a house with someone who you, like, had a healthy relationship with. And this wasn't my case, but, like, I know couples who, like, were able to, like, work through differences, communicate about issues, who, like, went from going to work at two separate places and like trading off on things and enjoying their alone time together to like detesting each other because they were with each other like all day every day. So if you're like being forced to live with someone who you don't know, it out the gate you have like an uphill battle. Yes, absolutely. And so I think that they must have been happy at some point, but it seems like it was one of those things where maybe it wouldn't have gotten as serious as it ended up getting because of COVID. It was love is blind holiday or um, honeymoon phase, you know, like the whole relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, they're coming home from this thing and he's like, you know what? You're right. You deserve better. You deserve someone who can give you all the things that you want. And I'm just not in that space. But, you know, I want to keep working with you. He had a deep respect for her. He seemed to really appreciate her as a human being. He thought she was a kind, caring individual. But He couldn't deal with the fact that she was shopping at Forever 21. (laughs) That is a small detail from like one of the articles that I read. It's a very small detail. Let's not harp on it because I don't know. I do not know how serious he had a problem with that. It just, it was like, it It was was brought up in like their lifestyle (laughs) differences. Yeah. It's killing me. (laughs) I know. So they basically, by all accounts, they agree. Okay, fine. This isn't working. You know, at this point, they'd been together for over two years and it's time to move on. And she said, you know, I don't think I can continue working with you. So I'm going to figure out where I'm going to move and then we'll figure out how we're going to divide the company they had started together and any assets that they had together because they, I think they had been trying to buy some property as well. And so during this, this is all going on. 
and they're in the process of breaking up. It turns out that Mariah was coming to Austin to visit her good friend, also named Caitlin, Caitlin Cash. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's probably, I think, only a week or two since this breakup went down. Okay. And she happens to mention to him that she's going to visit a friend in his neck of the woods. And it just so happened that Caitlin Armstrong, his girlfriend, was taking a trip to Mexico to kind of like blow off some steam after this breakup that obviously was pretty hard on her. So she was in Mexico. And at that point, Colin invited Mariah to go out to West Texas with him and some friends and go on these like series of long rides. So they're now hanging out with his friends. She's part of the gang. You know that feeling when your ex immediately is with somebody else who like fits in better and like they're with all the same people you used to see and like in all the same places. Yeah, it's like seamless. Yeah. And so then when they come back to Austin, he's like taking her to all the joints that he used to go with Caitlin. And it's as if this breakup had happened like a year earlier, not only a week or two. And so Caitlin's younger sister, Christy, texted one of Caitlin and Colin's mutual friends and said the following, who does Colin think he is? Breaking up with Caitlin and then seeing this girl from Instagram, which makes me think that the reason why she already was upset that first time she was around Mariah was because he must have been following her on Instagram and she had noticed, obviously. Totally, totally. It was already apparent that they were like intimate. Yes. I mean, I don't, he wasn't putting any pictures up or anything. I think that's why she was saying this girl from Instagram, just like that's how Caitlin knew her. But it was more like, I guess people must have said something to Caitlin. I don't know how she found out if she was in Mexico. But enough that her sister was texting one of their friends who lived in Austin. And this mutual friend was quoted for the outside article. And he said to the journalist, who wouldn't be? Like, your ex-boyfriend of a week is seeing some cyclist that you have a problem with in Austin on your home turf in front of everybody. He said everyone saw it. Yeah. There was no, like, respect of Caitlin's emotional state from the breakup or the breakup at all. That's like when you break up with somebody and you don't go to their bars or you know where, like, their friends hang out and everything. You don't go there for, like, a year. You certainly don't go there with your new girlfriend after a week. Austin's a big city. There's plenty of places you can go. Now, I think to play devil's advocate, Colin's feeling like I brought Caitlin into this cyclist world. This is my world. and respect. Yeah. I mean, I agree. There's a lot of other factors here too, which is Mariah is nine years younger than Caitlin. So she is younger. Everyone's impressed by her. Like, listen to what I was saying before. I, no one, none of these journalists could find anyone who had a bad word to say about Mariah. Yeah, it's hard. You can't even be like mad at her. She's perfect. And she is crushing. She's about to beat Colin probably within a couple races. And this is the guy that everyone's always put on a pedestal. And he's so impressed with this younger woman who's about to kick his ass probably. And it's like, oh, you were never good enough for me. And she's probably internalizing this because you couldn't keep up with me. And now this is somebody who could keep up with me. I know. The whole thing is disaster. It's disaster sauce for real. So not long after this, Caitlin got her hands on Mariah's phone number and called her to tell her to stay away from Colin. She said, I'm basically still living with him. 
we're not maybe broken up really. You need to step away. But according to Colin, Caitlin was in no position to tell anyone to stay away from him. And it wasn't just Mariah that he was telling this. He wasn't just like, he was like, oh, the girl I like, I'm going to tell you we're broken up, but we're not. He was telling a lot of friends. He was telling everybody he knew, like, no, we're totally ended. We're trying to figure it out because everyone liked Caitlyn too. So they were trying to figure out what was going on with both of them. But he was being upfront, at least with his friends, saying we're not together. But it didn't seem like that was really the truth. Okay. Because over the holidays, now, when they have this fling, everyone's going to talk about this. They talk about it on the Dateline. They talk about it in every episode you're going to listen to about this case is that they only had a week-long fling. Mariah and Colin. Cool. Yeah, Mo and Colin had a week-long fling, and they say that it happened, I believe, in, like, the end of October. Okay. By the holidays, it seemed like Caitlin and Colin had reconnected. So what happens is there, you know, Thanksgiving happens, Christmas, and Caitlin said she didn't have anywhere to go. He said, we're having this with my friends here in Austin. Of course, if you're not going anywhere, you can stay. It's couple up season. It's couple up season. What do they call it when you have to like winter with somebody? I don't know. There's a term for it. It's cuffing season. It's cuffing season. Exactly. It's cuffing season. So now it seems like okay, are they back together? But even in January, Colin was still telling close friends like, oh, you know, we're, we're figuring out our situation. We're figuring out our professional situation with our partnership, but we're definitely not together together. He's still telling people that, but it doesn't really seem like that. So in January, there's another event. There's another race that they're all at. And at this particular event in Arkansas, Mariah was in attendance but he had brought Caitlin. So Mariah's there. Only a couple months ago, they had had this fling. fling. Yeah. People said on Mariah's side that they were still in touch. So now she shows up to all these events and Caitlin's right next to him. So there was also some sort of dinner involved where Colin sat with Mariah on one side and Caitlin on the other. Ew. It was very awkward and very tense for everybody involved. Afterwards, Mariah sent a text to Colin that read, Hey, so I would like to talk to you at some point. This weekend was strange for me, and I just want to know what's going on. If you want to be friends, and then she put in parentheses, seems to be the case, then that's cool. But I'd like to talk about it because honestly, my mind has been going in circles, and I don't know what to think. I know, it's so mature and even and not aggressive, not overly sensitive or responsive. It's just so mature. Yeah. So Colin did not text back until the next day, which is also very annoying. Rude. This <laughs> is so annoying when you're in an emotional situation. But he was probably with Caitlin. Absolutely he yeah. was, yeah. And he wrote, hey, Mo, I feel very shitty for putting you in a position where you don't feel comfortable. Caitlin came along to a meeting about the Sprinter Spartan Hotel project. In hindsight, this was not a good idea. That's all. Oh, my God. It's a total non-answer. She's asking, hey, what are we doing here? Like, the subtext is, it's okay if it's no longer romantic, but you need to communicate that with me so I can manage my own expectations and we can just go back to being professional. That's cool. Like, that's basically the subtext of what she's saying. And he responds in this vague way that serves no one. It doesn't serve Mo. It doesn't serve Caitlin. It just 
it continues to keep them in this weird limbo place. Exactly. Horrible. Well, according to those who knew Caitlin by this time and all throughout 2022, the couple was very much back together. She thought so. Her friends thought so. Her family thought so. There was not supposed to be a question about whether they were still together, according to Caitlin. However, Colin and Mariah had to see each other often due to the fact that they were both professional cyclists in the same sport. They went to all of the same events. Well, some of their colleagues claimed that Mariah and Colin acted totally normally, professionally, platonic at these events. Others thought that it was suspicious that when Caitlin wasn't there with him, Colin would be glued to Mariah's side. I'm sure. So there was a little side eye going on. But there was other people that were, you know, commented on the various articles I read that said, no, I hung out with them and they were completely cool and professional. I didn't pick up on a romantic vibe at all. So who knows what was going on behind closed doors? It did seem that maybe Caitlin had an inkling that something was going on. And later, according to the Dateline episode I watched, friends of Mariah claimed that the relationship had never really been totally off. That while her family said they were not in a relationship later on, some of her friends said, well, well, they weren't maybe in actively in a relationship. They were still communicating. So there was still some gray area. I mean, even think about that last text. It was still leaving everything open with apologizing for nothing. And it's really convenient that Caitlin's around for their business. So Caitlin absolutely was picking up on something. And I think it was driving her crazy that he contractually had to be at all of these races at the same ones that she had to be at. And so another source came forward and said that Mariah was a little freaked out by Caitlin because she had apparently obsessively, repeatedly called her over and over and over again to the point where Mariah had to block her number. And then when she did that, Caitlin followed her on Instagram. Sounding a little SWF. Yeah. It's getting a little fatal attraction over here or single white female, yeah. So many people, including Colin, said that Caitlin was far from the jealous type. So, which is funny, I heard this from a lot of people who knew her. Colin even said it later on when he was interviewed by the police. She is like the least jealous person that I know. So this was a very hidden side of Caitlin, obviously. But he clearly knew that obviously Caitlin had some sort of feelings about Mariah because when Mariah reached out to Colin in early May 22 to tell him that she'd be in Austin visiting a friend again, which is Caitlin Cash, ahead of another race that she was projected to win, he didn't just respond to her. He changed Mariah's name in his phone and deleted their text thread as they continued to talk. So it was just the number. So he just changed the contact name that it said like a dude's name instead of her name. You only do that when you're hiding something because we've all been yes, there. Yes, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And he said later that he believed these actions would help avoid conflict with Caitlin. It's like, yes, these lies. <sighs> <laughs> well, maybe for a very short window of time, buy you some more time of lying. Oh, my God. Yeah. So on Wednesday, May 11th, 2022, it was an unbelievably hot day in Austin. Mariah had done a long, dusty, hot ride, and then she made plans to meet up with Colin, who had been at the dentist earlier that day. Sexy. <laughs> hey, 
Dental hygiene is super sexy, Andy. Colin picked up Mariah at her friend Caitlin Cash's house where she had been staying, which is on the east side of Austin, around 6 p.m. on his BMW motorcycle. So the two went to Deep Eddy, which is this really cool Austin pool. It's actually the oldest man-made pool in Texas where they went swimming, they lounged around, they chatted. According to Colin, they talked about the social relevance of racing bikes for a living. Mariah wanted to know more about how she could inspire people, give back to the community, and make their sport more inclusive and accessible. So they were having these talks about their sport and their future and wanting to give back in life. And then they swam and chatted for a while until the sun started setting. And then they went to Pool Burger, which is a nearby patio bar, This sounds actually very cute. It has burgers and all these like rum tiki drinks. But like fun datey places. I mean, this is a fun datey event. Going to Deep Eddy, going swimming together. And then you go and get drinks and food at the super cute little bar. It's very datey. It's less colleagues and more date for sure. So Caitlin Armstrong, Colin's Caitlin, had tried to call him while they were eating, but he ignored the call. After they were finished with their food, Colin drove Mariah back to her friend's house, which was an apartment over a garage. And then he drove off. Caitlin Cash, Mariah's friend, got an alert on her door app that the door had been unlocked. And apparently she had this kind of like high tech lock where you could give different people different codes. So you knew exactly who was coming and going from your house because they put in their personal code. And so Mariah put in her code to unlock the door at 8.36 p.m. And it alerted Caitlin Cash to the fact that Mariah had unlocked the door with her code and she was in there. Now, unfortunately, she never got an alert that Mariah had locked the door behind her. So she arrived home, Caitlin Cash, that is, around 10 p.m. And she found her apartment door unlocked. She entered the apartment And she called out for Mariah before realizing in horror that the 25-year-old rising star was in a pool of blood on her bathroom floor. So this is like an hour and 20-some minutes after she got the alert that she was safely home. And this was very traumatic and confusing for Caitlin because at first you don't know what happened. You don't know why there's a lot of blood. You're thinking they hurt, they fell. Your brain goes to the normal things, an accident. So she called 911 and she was attempting to do CPR on Mariah at this point, but it was to no avail. And she would later say that to this day, she feels a tremendous amount of guilt that she should not feel that she wasn't home, that she wasn't there to protect Mariah, that she hadn't somehow thought to be there for her. But there's there was nothing she could have done. I know, but I, I think that's just the guilt that a best friend or a parent always feels. Yes. If you love somebody and something horrible happens to them, and, and especially given that it was her house, feeling like there was something she could have done. Yeah. There's no amount of rational rationalization that can make you not feel that way if that happened at your house. <sighs> Well, when emergency responders arrived, it was clear to them that Mariah had been shot. Mariah had been shot twice in the head and once in the chest. Crime scene investigators would find the third bullet lodged in the tile underneath Mariah's body. It appeared that they had, I think there was a wound on her hand too. So it looks like 
the person had approached and shot her in the head twice while she was standing up and trying to stop the bullet for a second. And then when she fell to the ground, the killer had stood over her and fired directly down into her heart. Caitlin Cash was able to tell the authorities that she knew Mariah had come home at 8.36 p.m. And she also knew that the last person to see her alive was Colin Strickland. So this is a great starting point. They have a data point already. They know exactly when she walked in that house. And does Caitlin Armstrong have Find My Friends and could see him drop her off? Gosh, you're so smart, Andy. Sorry. No, no, don't say sorry. We're going to get to that. But honestly, I really like you being the voice of the listener because I know all you, (laughs) all you lovers at home are like, I bet that bitch had find your friends up on that guy. And so you're like shouting it. So it's like a roll with it, Andy. I mean, like he's out at a fun tiki bar with someone. Girl can see that at home. Mm -hmm. Who do you take Mm -hmm. there on a cute dating spot? I mean, I'm going to get into this, but everyone said that she knew all of his passwords and that she basically ran all of their finances. She was the one who was in control of everything. And so there is speculation that while he was trying to change her name and delete the text, A, it was because obviously she checked his phone. He knew that or else he wouldn't have to do that. But also when you connect your phone to your laptop... Your text messages pop up there. It doesn't take an armchair sleuth to figure that out. It takes any normal girl who wants to figure it out. We're fucking smart (laughs) and resourceful. Like, you want to leave us to figure that shit out? Like, we know how to Google what an area code is. (laughs) Yeah, it is true. So the investigators actually have a great head start. They know who she was last with. They know when she came back in. So this is also an urban area. So they can pull... All the security cams, everybody who has a ring camera, they go around, they canvas it. They were like, we need to see all of your material for this amount of time. And they know exactly when to do this. So at 8.35 p.m., security cameras caught Colin on a BMW motorcycle pulling away from Caitlin Cash's apartment. Okay. Which would make sense because that would make sense to him dropping her off. Mariah has to climb the stairs and then let herself in. So at 8.35, he is on the road again, and then some other security cameras caught him on his motorcycle in the direction that it would take for him to get to his house, eight miles away from the scene of the crime, 12 minutes later. So there's no lag. There's no stop time. It was like he pulled away and he's on his way home. So it is looking likely that Colin, who would have otherwise been the number one suspect, could not have been the shooter. I don't think so either. I mean, I I don't, I just, I mean, there wasn't time because she was obviously shot in the bathroom. And if there's footage of him pulling away and she doesn't even open the door until one minute after he pulls away, and then all of the timing to the other cameras on his way home makes sense. There was no time he could have circled back, gone up, shot her, and then left again. It wouldn't make sense with the timeline. However, they also noticed that 10 minutes before Colin had dropped Mariah off, a black SUV was spotted driving pretty slowly through the area. It was a black Jeep that had a custom bike rack on the back. Oh, my God. Yep. And so then Caitlin Cash's apartment was off of an alley. And 11 minutes later, so about 
right around the time that Mariah's getting into the apartment, they see this black Jeep with the very distinct custom bike rack on the back going down the alley, driving just out of sight, and you see the brake lights come on exactly where the apartment is and stop. Now, it's just out of the frame, so you don't see who gets out, but you see that the Jeep has stopped there. You also don't see the license plate, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's got a custom bike rack, so. Yes. License plate, license plate. (laughs) Well, it's clear that they need to talk to Colin because he was the last person to see her alive, even if he's not the killer. So the very next morning, the investigators headed over to Colin's house so that they could bring him in for questioning, and they also are going to search his apartment. They're also going to search his house. And lo and behold, what vehicles do you think are in his driveway, Andy? The black Jeep with a bike rack on top? (laughs) Yes, there is an old model Mercedes-Benz, which I guess was his car, a BMW motorcycle, and a black Jeep with the same bike rack. And she's just like chilling there? The Jeep belonged to Caitlin Armstrong. Yeah, but is she just at the house, like chilling? She's, I don't know if she was at the house when the cops came, but she was still, yes, in Austin. Furthermore, we've got the black Jeep that belongs to Caitlin Armstrong. And they end up searching Colin and Caitlin's home, and they found a Sig Sauer P365. According to Outside Magazine, the police department's ballistics expert would later test fire the gun, and they also used a microscope to compare the markings on the shell casings from this gun to the ones found at the crime scene. And they were a perfect match. They're bringing Colin down to the station to interrogate him. And when he was asked about the gun, which they already knew was likely going to be a fit at that point, because it was at least probable because they knew those types of bullets could come out of that type of gun and look like that, apparently, even before they had the ballistics expert go through it. Colin said that while he bought the gun, he had gifted it to Caitlin. It was a gift. Apparently in Texas, you can give people guns. And he said that the reason that they did this was because Caitlin had been harassed. And I wasn't sure if it was out where she lived before they moved in together or at their home. And that she had also lived through a scary road rage incident. And that he had bought it for her because he felt like he wanted her to feel safe. And he was saying that it was essentially feminist for her to have a gun because as a man, he can feel safe anywhere he walks and going out late at night and being by himself and that having a gun for her would be an equalizer. So he doesn't have a publicist. I mean, this is what I believe he said in his interview and to other friends. I don't know if this was after the murder happened. Okay. But yeah, so this was basically what he said about why, but he said that's her gun. I purchased it for her. Colin told the investigators that Caitlin had not known that he was out with Mariah. So he said, no, there's no way my girlfriend did this. She is the most gentle person. I never would have been with somebody that I thought that was capable of murder. She's a yogi. She's a yogi. In fact, they were like, well, look, her Jeep was right next to 
the house where Mariah was staying and she was killed at the exact moment of the murder. So how do you explain that? Why would she be in the area? And he's like, well, maybe she's really spiritual. So maybe she was going to see an energy worker. Sir, she's got a lot of energy to work off here there, buddy. I think her aura is black. Oh, my God. Later, he was like, I was just trying to make it make sense because the only reason I I thought she'd be on the east side is that I knew she saw somebody over there for that type of work. And so that was the only thing that could come to my head. So he told the police that he didn't believe that Caitlin knew that he was out with Mariah. He told them that he had changed her name in his phone and that he always deleted his text messages. And that's why he was pretty sure that Caitlin did not know. He said that he had ignored that call from her. And then when he left, when he was zipping back to his house on his motorcycle, he had texted Caitlin, hey, are you out? And then he kind of tried to cover for himself. He said, I went to drop off some flowers, which was a code word for weed, for Allison at her son's house up north. And then my phone died. Heading home unless you have another food suggestion. So Yeah, they're still together. Yes, if he's trying to plan dinner. Plan dinner and also cover up where he's been. So she didn't message back. Instead, he, he would later say that she came home at 9.20 p.m. wearing yoga clothes and carrying a yoga mat. So he assumed she had been doing yoga. She didn't ask him anything about where he had been. And he didn't volunteer because he's feeling guilty. So he's not going to break down a conversation of where were you? What were you doing? Because he doesn't want to get into that whole can of worms. And he had been outside working on these new tires, I think, that he was putting on one of his bicycles. And they ended up at that point going inside, and he had made himself a glass of rye whiskey. So he was drinking rye whiskey on the rocks, and she asked him if he would make one for her too. So apparently they had this drink together, and then outside journalist Ian Dill wrote about what allegedly happened next. He wrote, quote, friends of mine familiar with the events of the night, told me that Caitlin Armstrong then approached Colin and initiated sex, and she was rough and dominating. They were regularly intimate, but this forcefulness was unusual. Strickland did not mind it at the time, but later, in the wake of Mariah's death, he would feel traumatized by the memory of the experience. That's so weird. I mean, he's just assuming at this point that he got away with the date and that she's just a little more aggressive. This is the section where I was going to tell you how Caitlin knew where they were, but Andy spoiled it. (laughs) (laughs) Saws, not saws. (laughs) So basically, that's what they think is going on here. On the Dateline, they have a, a veteran homicide detective who did not work on this case, but is very familiar with it. And she said that there was no way that Caitlin was trailing them or tailing them or tracking them at all. Like, from her car following them because she said it's almost impossible to tail a motorcycle because they can, you know, go through lanes and everything like that. And also the Jeep was in the area 10 minutes before they even got home. So they think it's likely that she was tracking his phone. She knew he was lying to her. She saw where he went to pick her up. She could record that. And then she knew when he was leaving and when they were heading back to that direction, And she got there first and she was lying in wait. One of Caitlin's friends called the police and told them that she had often urged Caitlin to break up with Colin because he didn't treat her well. And so she's just like friend to friend. 
screw this guy. Like, you got to get out of this relationship. You're always miserable. He doesn't treat you well. And so at one situation when they were together at a party around one of these racing events, she couldn't hear her very well because they were at a party. So they were kind of shouting over the noise. But it had come up again because this was, I think, in January when they were kind of back together, but it was still weird. And she said, no, actually, we've been a lot better lately because the friend had said something like, oh, I thought you guys were finally breaking up. And she's like, no, 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 we've been good. We've actually been totally fine. But I'm really, really bothered by this fling he had with this girl, Mariah. Like, it's really pissing me off. and. The friend who had called the police, like, this is good for her that she called the police anonymously and said, then she started shaking. She was so angry, telling me how angry she was at Mariah. And she said, I wanted to kill her. And the friend said, yeah, you know, like, we've all been there. Like, of course you felt like that, like you wanted to kill somebody, but like, those things pass. And Caitlin said to her seriously, no. I really wanted to kill her. And then she said something, but she couldn't hear her about like she got a gun or she was getting a gun or she was shooting a gun or something. But the friend was like, okay, this is just crazy talk. This is not normal because also everyone said Caitlin wasn't usually like this. So this just seemed like somebody who was in the throes of a toxic relationship just letting off some steam. So all of those things combined were enough to obtain an arrest warrant. But when they looked Caitlin up in the system, they found that there was already an outstanding warrant for her arrest. Andy, you are never going to guess what she had already been charged with. In March of 2018, she had gone to a med spa and gotten $653 worth of Botox up in her face. How do you, what? I know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of Botox. That's a lot of Botox in Austin. And then she, in 2018, and then she went to the counter, she pulled out a MasterCard and she put it on the counter and she said, oh, you know what? My other car's in my, my car. Can I actually go grab that, my other card and put it on that one instead? And they were like, sure. And she's like, I'll leave the MasterCard here just so you know I'm good. And she dipped, and the MasterCard was not good, and she never came back. That is not very zen. <laughs> Decidedly unzen. Wow. I was going to say she went, like, cow tipping or something, so I wasn't going to guess that. No. No, there's not cows in Austin. There's cows just outside of Austin. There are cows just outside of Austin, but, like, Austin's very city. Oh, my God, is it? I've never been. <laughs> Don't get the wrong idea. Don't give people the wrong idea about their cows tipping. (laughs) So they're like, great, good. There's already a warrant out for her arrest, which means we can just pick her up. They don't even have to do the paperwork. They can just go grab her and they can arrest her because it's outstanding. Hilarious. It's outstanding that it's outstanding. (laughs) They bring her back to the station for questioning and she gives them absolutely nothing. Like she is just not emoting at all. One of the officers said that when they brought up the fact that her boyfriend had been with Mariah that night, the night before at this point, somebody said that she gave a big eye roll, but it was not caught on videotape. So we don't know if that is for real. But in general, she was just straight faced. They were asking her questions and she was like, 
nope, I didn't know that he was out there with somebody else. I don't know what to tell you. I had no idea. And then unfortunately for the police, it turned out that there was a typo on her birthday. So originally when they realized that, they were like, oh shit, we can't hold her because this is for a different Caitlin Armstrong. And it really was her. It was just a typo. But at first they thought because the birth date was wrong that we have to let her go because this actually isn't her. And legally we can get super boned about this in this very big case. So we have to like turn her loose right away. So they did. And unfortunately it turned out it was just a typo. It was really her. So she's out now. Apparently while she was out at some point, she had made this conversation with one of Colin's friends, essentially being like, can you believe that Austin is so crime ridden now that this is happening in people's houses? And she's like, I didn't think, and she named the neighborhood, like literally the exact neighborhood where Caitlin Cash lived and was like, I didn't know blankety blank was so dangerous. And this was before anything was released by the media. And the friend was like, later on was like, holy shit, how did she know where Mariah's friend lived? How would she know to say that when it hadn't been released by the media? Yeah. She apparently also had some sort of coffee with Colin and it sounds like they decided that she should take some space. She was like, maybe I'll go and visit my mom who lived in Michigan. And he was like, that seems like a good idea because he had been interrogated for hours. He had gotten to a point where he was just very done and very angry with the officers. And I think he was just exhausted. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, get your space, get out of here because his mind was probably spinning. There was all these questions about her. So I think after this coffee date that they had on May 13th, Caitlin drove her Jeep to a CarMax, which was only a couple blocks away from Colin's house. And she sold it for $12,200. Okay. So on Saturday, May 14th, she was spotted at the Austin airport with a yoga mat strapped to her back and a face mask on. She flew to LaGuardia Airport in New York City, and it is believed at that point she traveled upstate, which I looked this place up. It's called Camp Haven. It's a wellness retreat and private campground. It's about 90 minutes away from me, Andy, like to the west. Okay. And her sister, Christine, or nicknamed Christy, worked there. So it seems likely, I think that there's a lot of um, potential charges being brought about various people. So they were a little more tight-lipped about exactly what her movements were around this. But it seems very likely that she was with her sister at this point. On May 17th, another arrest warrant was issued. And this time it was to arrest Caitlin for the murder of Mariah Wilson. By the time they started to figure out where she had gone, that she had gone from LaGuardia upstate, they had no idea where she was. She was back on the run. So by the time they got a a tip that that's where she was, she was already in the wind. On May 18th, just as the media was beginning to cover the story nationally, Caitlin went to the Newark airport where she boarded a flight for Costa Rica. But the authorities don't know this. It is believed that she used her sister Christie's passport to get through border control and to buy her ticket. Caitlin cut her long auburn locks shorter and dyed her hair brown. And I'm never going to glorify an alleged murderer, but she did have very nice hair. The before pictures of her hair was like big, beautiful waves and curls and this like 
golden red auburn look. It was like very pretty hair. And she cut it shorter, like more like shoulder length and dyed it totally brown. So she's obviously trying to disguise, change her looks. Yeah, disguise herself at this point. And it looks like from San Jose, the capital of Costa Rica that she flew into, she made her way to Jaco Beach and eventually to Santa Teresa, which sounds like it was once a remote jungle beach town that is now more of like a hipster surf and yoga spot. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know of it? Yeah. Yeah. So Ian Dill said that it was like, has yoga studios and like vegan cafes all over the place. Yeah. So Caitlin called herself Ari and she ended up getting a job working at the front desk of the hostel that she was staying at. Somewhere else that I think that she was like maybe teaching some yoga while she was there too, but she was definitely practicing. And she spent her days befriending the locals. They said always the locals. She would always shy away from anyone who's visiting, especially because a lot of people from Austin came down here. And she would do yoga. She was surfing. I mean, she was having a regular vacay. One local she befriended was a guy named Teal Akerson. And he is, he's a trip. He's on the Dateline episode and he's got a great personality. He's really funny to watch. And he said that about a month after she arrived, she asked him to take her to the ferry, which was a 90-minute ride away. And he would have had to go on his motorbike 90 minutes and then turn around and 90 minutes back. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that for you. Because he liked her. Apparently, he tried to, like, make out with her. And she was like, no, I just got out of a bad relationship. Okay, psycho. But, yeah, so he liked her. But he was like, yeah, dude, that's too far for me. Like, why do you need to go to San Jose? And she said she needed to go to the hospital. And he's like, well, why can't you just take the bus? And she said that she was worried about the traffic stops because her paperwork was not up to date. That's what she told him. Nonetheless, even without Teal and his motorbike, she made it to San Jose, where she went not to the hospital, but instead to a specialized medical center. What was its specialty? Fucking Botox. Are you kidding? (laughs) Are you kidding? It was, in general, plastic surgery. Are you kidding me? No. They have not officially confirmed this. It's pretty obvious, though, that she had a nose job. What a snake. When she returned to Santa Teresa, she had a bandage on her nose, and she told people that she had injured it surfing. I didn't know that yogis were allowed to lie all the time. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if she's a very good yogi. I mean, she's always got her yoga mat. Always. Which also, by the way, comes back to bite her in the ass that she had her yoga mat. So it's been over a month since Caitlin had gone on the run. She was gone for six weeks altogether. She successfully stayed on the run. So the Marshal Service offered $5,000 for any information that would eventually lead to the capture of Caitlin Armstrong. And they got a tip that she had been upstate with her sister. By the time they got there, however, like I said, she was long gone. Another tip said that somebody had dropped her off at the Newark airport, but no one had known where she was going and none of the flight manifests showed that she had flown out of there because obviously she used somebody else's passport. They know she left from Newark, they know when, but they have no idea where she is. When it was approaching six weeks and they still hadn't been able to locate her, they decided that they were just going to throw shit at the wall. They're like, look, she had a yoga mat on. Let's just look into 
yoga destinations that you can get to from Newark Airport. Like, let's just do that. Let's call all of these destinations and call their police departments and say, look, we're looking for this person. Can you take her picture to different yoga studios in town and see if she's been in your locale? And one of the places that they called was Santa Teresa. So they ended up talking to this guy who's like, I think that they like termed him like the local security warden or something of the area. And he's on the dateline as well. And they said, basically, we're going to send you this information. Let us know. And so he personally called all of the yoga studios and the hostels and anyone that would potentially have this person. And he found her. Wow. Yep. So on June 29th, 2022, she was apprehended at the hostel that she was staying at. Even with her new nose? Even with her new nose. They were, the guy that she was working with is on Dateline too. He's talking about how at first they came in and they were like, well, he said one guy came in first who was like a little sketchy and was like, hey, do you have any rooms available? And was like looking at her. And she's like, yeah, I think there's one available. And he's like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to go get something to eat and then I'll come back. And then he like, as soon as he left, all of these police came in like SWAT. And they're like, we need to see your papers. And she's like, I don't have papers. And she was like being really weird. And he's like, what is her problem? Just show them your like passport, dude. And she's like, I don't have any papers. And they're like, well, you're gonna have to come with us. And so the guy who worked there was like, oh, you know, I can open up her lockbox because at the hostel, you could rent these lockboxes to keep your valuables in. And he said that he saw all the papers before the police did and he took pictures of everything. So in the lockbox, they found her passport. They found her sister's passport. They also found a receipt for the plastic surgery center where she had been. Oh, my God. A $6,350 procedure for somebody named Allison. Also, if you look at these passports, which I think we should probably put them on the Instagram, it looks like she was trying to look like her sister. Her sister was brunette. Her sister's nose shape was more like the nose that she ended up with. So it looks like she was trying to turn into her sister. But how long did she think she was going to be able to use her sister's passport? I don't know. But does that make her complicit too, huh? Yeah. And that's why there's like a lot of like allegedly went to her sister's, allegedly used her sister's passport. Yeah. Because I think that the sister is in some trouble as well, obviously, for aiding and abetting a fugitive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's, I think it's currently getting settled in some way. I'm sure that they're making a deal with the sister to say, we won't charge you with those things if you testify against her. Because if she was helping her sister get out of the country, she knew what her sister did. Crazy. Yeah. They have her. And when they were questioning her, Caitlin at first tried to say that she was Ari, she was a different person. And they were like, look, we got all your shit. We know it's you. And she was like, okay, you got me. They said she just seemed pretty tired. So on the Dateline, they make the point that for somebody who had gone to such lengths to escape and to conceal her identity, she wasn't willing to give up this yoga, beaching, fun lifestyle. She thought she could have it all. She thought she could run from murder and what she had done and also still have the lifestyle she wanted. Yeah, she would have been a very disappointed mother. <laughs> <laughs> that how hard being a mom is that you don't get to have the fun beachy go to yoga whenever you want lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. It's easier to be a fugitive from the law than it is to be a mother. <laughs> Life lesson 101. 
Caitlin's attorney, Rick Kofer, said that he so he's on her attorneys on the dateline, too. And he said that Caitlin Armstrong is absolutely innocent and that a trial will prove it. He said on Dateline that Caitlin was not a jealous person, that this is just a misogynistic theory that she was an obsessively jealous woman who killed her romantic rival and that it has no basis in reality. So we haven't evolved as defense attorneys, like what I was asking (laughs) in the last episode. (laughs) He said that ballistics are a junk science, which, oh, there's new studies coming out that they're not as reliable as we once believed and hoped that they were. So he's not entirely wrong, but he's really clinging to some new studies that show that they're not as great. It's kind of like when they're debunked, like, blood spatter evidence. There's a lot of things that we've relied on and thought of as absolute proof. Now they're realizing maybe the science is less than perfect. So he said that the ballistics were definitely junk science. He actually called it witchcraft at some point, which is not true. Like it's not, it might not be like, like bullet DNA, but it's, that's what Keith Morrison said. He's like, it's, it's like not bullet DNA, but I don't think it's witchcraft. It's sorcery's work. Yes, exactly. And he said that he can prove that, and he said the state's own evidence will end up proving that Caitlin was not anywhere near the crime scene when Mariah was actually killed. He said that Caitlin didn't do anything wrong when she left. He said that this is a woman who had gone and done yoga training in Bali. She had traveled the world throughout her life. Even when she was like stressed out about that breakup, she went to Mexico. When things got like too heavy, she liked to travel. And at the time that she left to go to her sister's house, which is a family member she was close to, she needed support, there wasn't a warrant out for her arrest. So when she left Austin, she didn't do anything wrong. And then she didn't know that there was a warrant out for her arrest when she went to Costa Rica. Keith Morrison is like, yeah, but did she use her sister's passport? Totally. He's like, if she did, that's a separate issue. He's like, but you know, Keith Morrison are the love of our lives is like, but you know that she did. And he's like, it would be inappropriate for me to comment on that. So like, yeah, bro, she used her sister's passport. And he also said, look, you can't prove that she had plastic surgery. Like she had a receipt, but it was in somebody else's name. And I'm like, sir, we have eyes. We have eyeballs. She has a new nose. She has a new nose. Don't gaslight us. Mr. It's a misogynistic theory. Oh, my goodness. So he says we are going to prove this in court that she is absolutely 100% innocent. And they're like, well, why did she run? What's the big question? And he said she was scared. So his thing is she was scared. She was told that her boyfriend, the man she lived with, had been with this woman. And then she was murdered. And she believed that Colin had killed Mariah. So she had to get as far away from that killer as she possibly could was basically the insinuation. Costa Rica is not like that far from Austin. So like (laughs) if you were actually trying to get away from him, you'd go back to Bali. I mean, maybe there was too many connecting flights. Totally. Yeah, because it was like, okay, I can get there. Like Costa Rica is a pretty short flight from New York. And that's just then you're there. Uh, Yeah, so just this last weekend... On April 22nd, the Austin American Statesman reported that this case will be going to trial, and it will be going to trial soon. Currently, a June 26th date is set. 
unless the defense delays proceedings to secure witnesses and gather more evidence, which they may do. The judge asked Rick Kofer to submit a request for such a delay by May 1st, so we will know soon enough. Wow, I love the ongoing trial, Jess. I know. So we'll be covering this on Current Affairs, so we'll keep it going. Caitlin has continued to maintain her innocence, so it seems very unlikely that she will be making a plea deal with the prosecutor. Well, she'll just have to get prosecuted. I think that this is going to be some shit because we're going to find out so much more about this case throughout the trial, which is, again, another reason why I'm usually loath to do an in-depth coverage of a case that's not done yet because there's so much we still don't know that will hopefully come out. But based on her attorney on Dateline, I'm pretty sure that they're going to try to pin the murder on Colin. Okay. That's what I think their defense is. I think that they're going to try to argue that the murder happened at a different time and that it was somehow possible for Colin to have done it because he was saying something about like when it comes out about the actual time Mariah Wilson was murdered, it just gave me the feeling that they're going to try to put it on Colin. Yeah, that's what I predicted. In the love triangle, going for the third member of the love triangle is usually the way it goes. So as for Colin, he lost all of his sponsors. Everybody dumped him. I think there's been a lot of abuse thrown his way, a lot of hate mail, and I think some people defaced his house. And I do not think being a fuckboy warrants all of the hate that he's getting, but he did buy the murder weapon for the alleged murderer. Yeah, he's entangled for sure. He's entangled. And obviously this is holding up a big microscope to the way he treated his intimate relationships that does not look good. I don't want to like cast a stone, although I was in my 20s the last time I was a shithead in a relationship because I don't think any of us are perfect and we don't end relationships and start new ones always perfectly. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping this is a time for reflection for him. He posted on February 5th on his Instagram a picture of him. It's basically like him going for a bike ride with a friend. And he hadn't been cycling for a very long time. And he wrote, living in my body and my head has been a dark place to be for the last nine months. My mind has not been a healthy place to live. Stress combined with excessive drinking and a lack of exercise brought on an intense case of gout. Ooh. Yeah, which is an accumulation of crystalline deposits in your joints. It's rough. I've had some loved ones with gout and it is not fun. He said a darkly ironic affliction for someone who used to exercise a lot. And then he goes on to say that he stopped drinking so much and that he's trying to just get through day to day, basically. But I am sure we'll be hearing more from him on the witness stand soon enough. And let this be a cautionary tale to all of those who are out there dating and ghosting and and up to the shenanigans because this is like the worst case scenario of screwing around with people's hearts. Absolutely. And, you know, R.I.P. Mariah. I mean, this brilliant, beautiful light just taken from the world. And I have to say, there was a journalist who was like, um, who covered gravel racing, who was on Dateline. And they said, you know, what does this mean, this loss for, for gravel racing, for the, that community? And she's like, well, the loss for her family is a lot more, which I appreciated her reminding of people yeah. that. 
in the bicycling article, they do speak to Karen, her mother, who says that, I mean, they're obviously still reeling from it. She said that this was our 9-11, the moment that changes everything for you forever, that you'll never forget where you were when you found out. And, and it's something that's going to live with them for the rest of their lives. So I'm looking forward to getting justice for Mariah. Absolutely. In conclusion, I think the moral of almost every story in the world is treat people as you'd like to be treated. Treat people well, treat their hearts well, do your damn best. Absolutely. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'm just going to continue to avoid gravel racing. (laughs) I don't think that you have a hope of becoming a champion gravel racer in the future. (laughs) And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so Andy doesn't become a gravel racer. Okay, we love you guys. Thanks for supporting the show. See you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. Back to Jesse in the present for a quick update. First, on November 10th, we released an episode of Current Affairs about the trial of Caitlin Armstrong. That episode covers the background of the attempt to bring Caitlin to justice and the opening arguments of the trial. So we won't recover that here. Last Friday, November 17th, however, what ended up being a fairly quick trial came to an end. In closing statements, the prosecution urged jurors to ignore the defense's assertion that it could have been someone else, asking why Caitlin would have run for so long if she hadn't been guilty. Said prosecutor Ricky Jones, 19 days before this trial, she's running from you. She didn't want to face you. Don't let her run like she tried to do 19 days before this trial. No one saw who murdered Mariah Wilson, but the evidence all points in just one direction, the defendant. Meanwhile, the defense reiterated their argument that Caitlin has been trapped in a nightmare of circumstantial evidence. The defense continued, police think Caitlin committed this crime. They don't know. She fits the story they've created, a spurned, jealous lover. That story is so easy to tell because it ties into a framework of patriarchy and misogyny rooted in American culture. Ultimately, the jury agreed strenuously with just one of these arguments. Jurors deliberated for just three hours before declaring Caitlin Armstrong to be guilty. At the beginning of the punishment phase of the trial, Moe's family urged a harsh sentence. Moe's mother, Karen, looked directly at Armstrong and said, When you shot Mariah in the heart, you shot me in the heart. All of the people who loved her pierced their hearts. I would have done anything to stand in the way of that bullet. She did not deserve a death like that. Armstrong was sentenced to 90 years in prison for the crime. Under Texas law, she will first be eligible for parole in 30 years when she is 65 years old. Upon hearing the sentence, Moe's father said, As a family, we believe justice has been served. There really are no winners here. This is not a time of celebration, but a time for prayer. A time to pray for our family, our friends, and the Armstrong family and their friends. He added, however, with this challenging ordeal now behind us, we are ready to move forward and continue our healing. As we head into this holiday season, may that message of healing be with us all. Thanks for listening, and we will see you back here for Wednesday's regular episode.